You're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. Cholesterol and the many products that reportedly lower it. What works and what doesn't? And how should we as doctors be recommending over-the-counter supplements? Welcome to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Mary McGowan, Director of the Cholesterol Treatment Center at Concord Hospital. She is an Assistant Professor of Medicine at University of Massachusetts Medical Center and author of Heart Fitness for Life and 50 Ways to Lower Your Cholesterol. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Thanks very much. You and I both know that supplement business is an enormous business, and many of our patients are using it. Do you have any clue how much money is actually being spent on this stuff? Yeah, it's a huge amount of money. Data from the NIH estimates that Americans spend about $21.3 billion per year on supplements. A lot of them take it to lower their cholesterol. I have I have patients that take red yeast extract. Some take plant stanols, uh, polycosinol, gugulipid, cinnamon. I'd like to go through some of these and kind of ferret out the truth and whether or not any of these have any benefit. Let's let's start with red yeast extract. Any data on it? Red yeast extract is a fermented product of rice on which red yeast has been grown. The active ingredient in it is believed to be something called monocolon K. This is an agent that's reported to be very similar to lovastatin. Like statins, monocolon K inhibits the HMG-CoA reductase enzyme. And there is little doubt that red yeast is an effective cholesterol-lowering agent. The problem is, is that the only red yeast product that's been carefully studied in two well-designed studies is now off the market. The reason it's off the market is, I think, because it had too much of a media splash. In 1997, cholestin came on the market, Pharmanex is the company that made cholestin, took out all sorts of media ads touting the LDL-lowering impact of cholestin. Uh, They suggested people take 2,400 milligrams a day. They said that there were well-designed studies that showed an LDL reduction at this dose of about 21%. And in fact, there were two very well-designed studies, one by Heber and colleagues looking at 83 patients with hypercholesterolemia, and that was a study out of UCLA. And the second was by Dr. Jim Rippey. His study was a little bit larger, included 187 patients, reported at the AHA's 39th Annual Conference on Cardiovascular Disease and Epidemiology. And both of these studies found a consistent 21% reduction in the LDL, but the FDA got wind of this. In 1998, the FDA determined that red yeast rice did not conform to what they called was the definition of a dietary supplement under the 1994 Dietary Supplement and Health Education Act. The loophole or the issue that they used was they said, if you have a dietary supplement, it can't contain a compound that's already approved as a drug. In this case, it was lovastatin, unless the product was available commercially before the drug's approval. And, in fact, cholestin was not available before the drug's approval. So they sort of forced it off the market. And although cholestin, as a, as a name of a product, is still on the market, it no longer contains red yeast extract. There are lots of other red yeast products that any of our patients can go into a health food store and get. They are presumably below the radar of the FDA, and the FDA can't police everything. But it's actually not known 
how much monocolon K these other preparations have in them. So it's not clear if they're going to get a consistent 21%. In my practice, the the upside of that is that if they're already taking this, it's quite easy to transfer them over to a prescription because you can explain to them they're taking a natural occurring statin, but they're not taking enough of it to get them to their goal, whatever their goal will be. You know, I understand they shouldn't be taking it, but yet when they are, it's it's not so terrible to switch them over. They're pretty amenable to switching over. They may well be. And I think, though, it's important for physicians in general to ask their patients what other supplements they're taking because some patients don't realize that red yeast extract is like taking a statin. So they may actually be on two statins, one we've prescribed and one they're taking because their next-door neighbor recommends them. It's always nice to ask everything they're taking and have them bring lists and bottles. And even then, we still miss a few things. Let's move on to plant stanols and sterols. They've been around for at least 50 years, and they're in every product under the sun. Do they really work? Yes, in fact, they do. And it is amazing. They, you can't eat anymore without getting plant stanols and sterols in your diet. But these are natural compounds. They're present as minor components in things like vegetable oil, nuts, seeds, fruits, vegetables. Those are the plant sterols. The plant sterols include testosterol, campesterol. You get about 150 to 400 milligrams per day in your diet of the plant sterols. Plant stanols are the saturated counterparts of plant sterols, and they're much less abundant in our diet. We get about 20 to 50 milligrams per day of those in a typical American diet. So in order to get enough of a plant stanol or sterol to lower your cholesterol, you probably need about 2,000 milligrams a day, and we're simply not getting that in our diet. 2,000 milligrams a day will consistently lower the LDL by about 10 to 14%. They appear to work by reducing intestinal absorption of cholesterol. I've talked about these extensively in my book, 50 Ways to Lower Your Cholesterol. At the time that I wrote the book, there were a number of food products, but the list grows every day from Benicol margarine to Take Control margarine, Minute Maid Heartwise juice, things like Cocoa Via bars. And then for people who don't want calories associated with plant stanols and sterols, there are supplements such as the nature-made cholesterol capsules or Basicol. So there are lots of ways to get it in, in the diet or as a supplement. Mary, how much of this are we getting even if we don't want to be getting it, do you think? Well, it depends on what we're doing. If we're not paying attention, you could just pick up a tub of margarine that may contain quite a lot. And so you could conceivably get a fair amount in your supplements that you don't even realize you're taking if you're just buying margarine off the shelf. But most people are not going to buy Benicol and take control margarines unless they're actively looking for it because they're much more expensive than the usual margarines. And most people would actively have to seek out the Coco Via bars, and those have about 1,500 milligrams per bar. I think most people know if they're taking them. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. I'm talking today with Dr. Mary McGowan. She's the director of the Cholesterol Treatment Center at Concord Hospital. Mary, let's talk a little bit about polycosinol. I've, I've read articles about it. I know it comes from beeswax and sugarcane, but I've never really read a good study that shows it actually lowers cholesterol significantly. Have you? The issue with polycosinol is that you can read lots and lots of studies, but they're probably inaccurate, and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. So polycosinol, just for background, is a mixture of long-chain primary aliphatic alcohols isolated from sugarcane, as you mentioned, but there are other forms of polycosinol. You can derive polycosinol from wheat germ, rice bran, beeswax. 
Until recently, nearly every published study of polycosinol was performed by a single Cuban research group. And the interesting thing about this group is the group is funded exclusively by Dalma Lab. They make the polycosinol. All the studies from the Cuban group reported a consistent dose-dependent LDL reduction of about 15 to 24 percent in studies using anywhere from 5 to 40 milligrams of polycosinol with absolutely no response in the placebo group. But in 2006, three groups two from the United States and one from Germany, published placebo-controlled trials on sugarcane polycosinol. None of them found a significant lipid-lowering impact. And it should be noted that the German study actually used polycosinol straight from the Dalmer labs. So I think early enthusiasm about polycosinol really needs to be dampened. And I think that it's important for us to realize that not everything that gets in the literature is going to be accurate. Our patients may spend up to $50 a month buying polycosinol. So it's worthwhile to know that it probably does not work. So moving on to other things that may or may not work, there's a substance that comes from an Indian tree called gugulipid. I love the sound of it. Does it live up to its name? You know, unfortunately, in the U.S. population, it does not appear to. But I would say that my reading of the literature on gugulipid really doesn't indicate that there was any sort of role of deception. Gugulipid comes from the sap of an Indian myrrh tree. It's a tree found in arid regions in India and Pakistan. And as early as 1966, well-conducted studies in India found that gugulipid could lower LDL by about 12% and lower triglycerides by about 15%. There have been at least 10 human studies of gugulipid but only two have been placebo-controlled. Of the two placebo-controlled trials, one was done in India and one was done in the U.S. population. The only study performed in the U.S. population was published in JAMA in 2003 by a group from the University of Pennsylvania. This was an eight-week, double-blind, randomized placebo-controlled trial of 103 patients. There was no LDL benefit of gugulipid, and if anything, gugulipid appeared to increase LDL. Interestingly, though, gugulipid was noted to lower highly sensitive C-reactive protein. And it should be noted that when you looked at the studies in both the Indian population and the U.S. population, there were responders and non-responders to gugulipid. It's just that in the Indian population, there were far more responders than in the U.S. population. So it suggests, to me anyway, that the Indian population may differ in some basic way, either genetically or environmentally. Maybe there's some cofactor that's allowing gugulipid to work. But in the primarily Caucasian population that was studied at the University of Pennsylvania, there was no LDL reduction seen. So I think, once again, gugulipid is available in every health food store. Our patients are interacting with clerks in the health food stores that are recommending gugulipid but it may not lower the LDL. We probably need some more studies in the U.S. population, but thus far, it does not look like it's worth the money. Where do we stand in 2007 with oat bran? Is it still living up to its hype that it does lower cholesterol, that it will potentially lower the risk of heart disease? Should I be eating my Cheerios? Well, you should be eating your Cheerios. And oat bran is just one form of water-soluble fiber. And you can get an approximately 3 to 5% reduction in LDL for every 5 to 10 grams of soluble fiber in the diet. That's true except in individuals who have normal LDL. So you really have to have an elevated LDL to see this sort of response. You know, you don't just have to have oat bran. You could have oat bran. You could have barley, flax, fruits, root vegetables, legumes. And if, if you don't eat those things, you can fortify your diet with psyllium, which is found in Metamucil. 
The National Academy of Science recommends 25 to 35 grams of of fiber per day for a healthy diet. So we do recommend it. Its impact on LDL is relatively small, but it's a consistent 3 to 5% reduction, and that would translate into a reduction in cardiovascular events. Dr. McGowan, we're almost about out of time. I just need a thumbs up or a thumbs down on uh, cinnamon. Yeah, I give it the thumbs down, sadly. You know, there was a huge amount of hype on cinnamon starting in 2003 with a Diabetes Care article, uh, but... um, The study that was done was in 60 poorly controlled diabetics from Pakistan, blood sugars 140 to 400, not really very bad lipids. In that study, looking at 1, 3, and 6 grams of cinnamon a day, there was a dose response reduction in both glucose and LDL, and in fact triglycerides as well. But subsequent studies in Western populations, Germany and Holland, found no lipid benefit. There may be a trend for an improvement in blood sugar, but I think, again, our early enthusiasm on cinnamon might have been a little bit premature. Dr. Mary McGowan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals.